In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Those are some pretty strong words from Jesus this morning. It's not often that we hear Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the full embodiment of God's love, commanding us to hate the dearest members of our family. It's not often that we hear Jesus putting limits on who can and cannot be his disciple, but that's certainly what it sounds like he's saying this morning. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's pretty strong words indeed. So what exactly are we supposed to do with this? Is Jesus really calling us to abandon those we love and take up his cross and leave everything behind? That's how a man from Arkansas named Keith Wheeler read this passage back in 1985. He constructed a 12-foot wooden cross, complete with a little wheel on the bottom, and has been walking around the world, literally carrying his cross ever since. So far, he's walked over 22,000 miles and has been to every continent, including Antarctica, and has been imprisoned 40 times, run over four times, beaten and left for dead twice, all because, in his words, he is simply trying to remind people that God loves them. And while some might consider his decision to embark on this journey a bit bizarre, I think there's something that we probably can take away from his example. And before y'all go telling the bishop that the new rector told everybody to make giant wooden crosses and <laughs> abandon your way of life and go walk down the streets, let me clarify. <laughs> make giant wooden crosses? No, that's okay. But abandon your way of life and go walk down the streets? There actually might be something to that. When Jesus tells the crowd, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple, he was trying to convey the absoluteness of what it truly means to follow him. And for many of us, hearing Jesus use the word hate is startling. But remember, Jesus didn't speak English. And the original Greek word that the texts actually use translates a little bit better to disfavor or disregard. In other words, Jesus is saying that you're either in it all the way or not at all. And the examples he gives demonstrate just what a huge and life-changing commitment it truly is to be a follower of Christ. It's such a big deal that even the most time-honored and sanctified relationships that exist in our world, father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, pale in comparison to the commitment that we make with God. It's just as if Jesus is giving us a heads up as to what we might expect before we sign on that dotted line, or in our case, are bathed in the waters of baptism. The covenant that we made at our baptism and that we reaffirm at our confirmation is so much more than just a list of do's and don'ts that we blindly say. It's in fact a covenant that we make with God that's witnessed and upheld by our church community. But how many of us can actually remember all the things that we promised to do in our lives? And how many of us forget that the same weight that's placed on an oath in a courtroom, so help me God, 
is actually placed on our baptismal covenant as well. I will, with God's help. This life that Jesus calls us to live into is not always an easy one. On the contrary, Jesus tells us this morning that we should take a good, hard look at what we're actually getting into before we get overwhelmed. He compares this undertaking to someone who's building a great tower. But maybe today might be easier to think about somebody who is remodeling a bathroom or their kitchen. And as anyone who is a fan of the show Fixer Upper knows, a project that looks simple and straightforward at the beginning can often end up taking much longer and costing way much more money than had originally been planned. And more often than not, that finished product oftentimes looks very different than the original plan you had going into it. The same can be said for our plan to live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. What appears at first on the surface just to be a nice set of rules to live by, commandments to follow, and nice words to say, becomes a catalyst for transforming our entire beings into hearers and doers of the word. The priorities we once held as sacred and set in stone began to change, and the boundaries we once placed on our hearts and minds began to fade away. Society as we knew it begins to look differently, and our eyes no longer instinctively look away from those in need or those who differ from us, but instead see them face to face as fellow children of God. In the end, what we become might be very different than what we thought when we started. In Paul's letter to Philemon, we hear an example of just how radical and how countercultural one can become as being a follower of Jesus. In the portion we heard this morning, which is basically the entire book, it's only short four verses, we hear how St. Paul writes to a church leader named Philemon from prison. While Paul has been in prison, Philemon's slave, a man named Onesimus, has run away from Philemon for some reason and has met up with Paul. But during their time together, Paul has taught Onesimus about Jesus. And Onesimus has been converted and has given his heart to God. Paul writes to implore Philemon not only to take Onesimus back and forgive his past transgression, but tells him to take him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, like a beloved brother. Then he goes on to offer to pay for anything owned by Onesimus to Philemon. Talk about turning society upside down. Not only will a runaway slave become welcomed back and his crime forgiven, but he'll be welcomed back into his master's family as a brother. That's the power of this gospel message. That's how we are called to live our lives today. But in order to become disciples of Jesus, there are, in fact, times that we must hate. We must hate the barriers society has placed on fellow human beings that keep them from reaching their full potential. We must hate the divisions that exist and the institutions that continue to perpetuate them in our world. We must hate the injustice that is done to the minority populations in our country for political or for economic gain. But we must also remember that hate is not the answer. 
This hate must be transformed into action. And that is the cross we are called to bear. The cross of carrying the unbiased love of Jesus to everyone we meet, at home, at work, even on the street corner. It will be challenging, and our lives will be forever changed in the process of changing others. But thankfully, we're not called to effect this change on our own. We have God's help. We have each other's help. We come here together to be fed and nourished by God's word and the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But these are just the tools that we use to bring God's kingdom into our community once we leave those doors. Like the man who carries that 12-foot cross and through the world, may our lives be symbols to others of the love that Jesus showed on the cross. We are the body of Christ here on earth. And with God's help, we can change the world.